Sometimes I felt if I only had a little more patience, a little more dedication towards the fundamentals of what goes into the making of music, I would be a lot better off. I can't read music. Quite frankly, ever since I started playing in bands, I've gone on sheer enthusiasm, going by feel and instinct. It served me well, but there have been countless times where I've banged my head against the wall, unable to channel the sounds circling inside my brain, onto my hands, and ultimately onto the fretboard. I certainly use the punk rock aesthetic and the DIY approach to music making as a crutch, sometimes going so far as to argue that if I actually sat down and learned music theory, all creative energy, soul, and spark would disappear. Of course, that's hogwash. There are, there are many uber-talented and schooled musicians making incredible, if not unearthly, mind-blowing music. But no matter how schooled a musician you are, if you choose to play rock music, you are immediately doing nothing any different than a hack like me. Playing the verse, singing the chorus, waiting for the bridge, and taking the listener home. At least that's the way I like to see it. It does, however, get real very fast when I am in the presence of quote-unquote real musicians. I do get a huge kick when I'm able to rub shoulders with these people on a peer level, who are obviously way more talented at the craft than I am. Do you remember the Salahis? They were the couple who very stealthily crashed the White House state dinner in 2009. That's kind of how I feel sometimes when I'm around these high-caliber musicians. It's enough to throw your hands up in the air and immediately come clean. No sense in trying to fake your way through a jam or a writing session when they turn to you with a nod and you're supposed to volley back with some piece de resistance. I've contributed to albums by Jeff Waters and Marty Friedman. I sung on Marty's album Inferno with Alexi Leho, and all three musicians were ranked in Joel McIver's book 100 Greatest Metal Guitarists of All Time. You're not really supposed to pay attention to lists, and the fact that the list overlooks Jason Becker immediately renders it flawed but it's official enough to distinguish those I just mentioned when it's in print, bound by hardcover. Also, Marty's appeared on this podcast twice, but eschewing complicated music talk, conversation always reverts back to the rock band Kiss, and to that, I'm very thankful to Marty for. So, I'm very well aware of the many eyebrows that can, and most likely will be raised when listening to this podcast episode with guitarist Alex Skolnick. Alex's most known for his work with the legendary heavy metal thrash band Testament. But he was always more than just a metal shredder, at least to me. And he's proven it by effortlessly going beyond metal's confines with his jazz outfit, the Alex Skolnick Trio. His collaborations with Stu Hamm, Joe Denenson, Nadir Sadek. He's also played in Sabotage, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, while joining a very elite group of guitarists when he briefly played with Ozzy Osbourne in 1995. Aside from writing columns in Guitar Player magazine and his Skull Notes blog, Alex wrote his autobiography Geek to Guitar Hero in 2013, and you can order it at geek2guitarhero.com. He also co-hosts an online show called Louder Education, whose past guests have been members of Anthrax, Guar, Death Angel, Children of Bodom, Don Jameson from that metal show, Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, J.J. French from Twisted Sister, and guitarist Doc Coyle. 
In fact, it was Doc who tweeted about an online article Alex had written that started this episode's wheels in motion. After following Doc's link and reading the article, I reached out to Alex to see if he was interested in talking. Seeing that we were both set to play Motorhead's motorboat cruise ship, it seemed easy enough to schedule for the boat. But, you know, as things happen, their schedules weren't lining up, so we made plans to do it afterwards on Skype. Obviously, with the impressive partial resume that I listed off, there are plenty of things to talk to Alex about. But it doesn't even scratch the surface. What is most pending and in the foreground as of right now is Alex's most ambitious undertaking yet, a world music collaborative project called Planetary Coalition that features Alex performing in top form seamlessly with an eclectic array of top musicians like Rodrigo y Gabriela, Kieran Alualia, Yakuba Sissoko, Jennifer Hernandez, Horatio El Negro Hernandez, Yihan Chen, along with a host of others. It makes one realize just how far Alex's talent runs. It's pretty impressive. Planetary Coalition was released on November 11th of this year. And if you're curious as to what the guy in Testament does when he's not laying down furious metallic licks, Planetary Coalition should be enough to satiate your queries and take your breath away. I'd like to thank Blue Mic Microphones for their Yeti mics, Skull Candy Headphones for the Aviator Headphones, much, much appreciated and very much used. Thank you to everyone who has left a rating or a review in the various iTunes stores around the world. Thank you so much. It helps the podcast's visibility and keeps the home fires burning, quite frankly. If you haven't left a, a rating or, or a review, that's cool. But, I mean, it would be cooler if you, if you did. Anyways, enjoy. The great Alex Skolnick is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's crew will tell them for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from fucked up. Stop playing. Hang down. I got to know Danko a few years ago when I used my vacation time to follow the band on the road. And I even spent a day with Danko in some European town that escapes me. But we ended up talking about 17th century art, his pet rock collection, <laughs> the summers he spent as a teenage air traffic controller, his venomous snake collection, his passion for planking, and the night he spent with Ringo Starr's housekeeper. He's a fascinating character with a wealth of stories to share. And I'm a huge fan of Danko, but a bigger fan of his stories. Hey, Alex. Hey, Danko. How's it going, man? Going good, man. How are you doing? All right. Doing all right. How was the motorboat for you? Uh, that was fun. That was uh, really fun. Had had a good time. Uh, you guys kicked it off, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, by accident, actually. Uh, yeah, originally, Megadeth was going to do that spot. And uh, since uh, Megadeth didn't make it, uh, we took over. And uh, did I... Yeah, it actually ended up being a, a great uh, spot to play in because uh, you know people were fired up, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I before we boarded, I thought, ah, oh, you know, I'm gonna have a lot of time to kill. Let's get some uh -huh. podcasts. You and I talked about it. Uh huh. It just got really busy. Oh yeah, yeah. 
time flew but, by. Yeah, yeah. How, uh, how many? You played a couple sets, right? Yeah, I think we all played two, right? Right. Yeah. And then you did some Metal Allegiance stuff? Uh, I ended up, yeah, I, I not initially, but uh, I got drafted uh, for, the, <laughs> for the final show. Well, listen, I, I've I've wanted to talk to you for a while, but when I was on Twitter, of all things, I saw a tweet from Doc Coyle, right. who was in God Forbid, and he posted a link to an article that you had written. Mm-hmm. I followed the link. I read the article. And I already wanted you on beforehand, but this really sealed the deal. And oh, cool. I, I've since caught up with everything you've done. I was vaguely aware of, of the things you were doing, but now I'm in a situation talking to you here where I just hope I can touch on everything you've been Ah, doing. ah, Good Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty extensive. Let's start with the most pending project of yours, which is just around the corner. Planetary Coalition. Hmm? Okay. Um, what is it? Yeah, it's Planetary Coalition. It's a new thing. Um, it is a uh, well, it is twenty-seven musicians from five continents, uh, all coming together for the cause of uh, good music and. Uh, and world um, peace, I guess. Um, it's so, it, it's you know it has a few different um, components. It's something that's been brewing for a long time. It was initially um, and my long overdue acoustic album, right? Right. It is that. Yeah. And it has. Um, 14 tracks, 75 minutes of music, uh, several different acoustic guitars, um, and many different styles of acoustic guitar. And um, I just, I realized, you know, by um, doing this, I, I not only you had a chance to work with um, great musicians that I admire, but it's also a statement with like everything that's going on in the world. There's a lot of uh, cultural discord, you could say, and misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. So um, here are all these uh, musicians, and they're all master musicians too, um, just coming together and and laying down music and working together and it's music that you know i i feel strongly about uh it's i think it represents um something that it represents a, a playlist that i would listen to um believe it or not i i don't put on metal every single day <laughs> and i'm not ashamed <laughs> of that and there's it's I, I I find it laughable that uh, there are people that still think you know you should listen to hard rock and heavy metal every day, and if not, then something's wrong with you. Um, 
I have you know, many friends that play metal that admittedly don't listen to it every day. Uh, Randy Blythe, for example, is somebody who proudly states he, you know, he's surrounded by it all the time. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to listen to it every day. So it's, it's with all respect to metal, but a lot of how I spend my time is um, you know, listening to uh, great artists like Al Demiola and um, Paco de Lucia, for example, or uh, Strums and Farah, um, Shakti, Anushka Shankar. I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of influences. But this is, um, you know, it's just, you know my, my creation. Uh, but uh, with each track, I, I wanted to work with somebody that's, you know, that's real. That really, that really does this stuff for real. Mm. Um, I didn't want to just get, um, yeah, a bunch of rock session guys and try to, um, do, you know, sort of thinly veiled influences from different places. So I wanted to really work with people from these places that are great musicians. So, um, that's, you know, that's the project. So the album comes out, um, November 11th and uh, there's a an album release show a week later in New York um, at the end of the month uh, we're playing the, the Liberty Science Center in um, in Jersey City and they're they're actually kicking off this uh, great guitar exhibit uh, guitar the instrument that rocked the world which has been going all over the world and it, it's a whole it has guitars from all eras of music. Uh, it's supposed to be a fabulous uh, exhibit. So, uh, yeah, we're proud to be included in that. And, um, some, you know, and more, more shows as well. So, this, and, uh, you know, to me, I'll just say one more thing that it, a lot of the um, musicians I admire in the, um, you know, outside of the, the rock world, uh, and even some in the rock world, they you know, have many, many projects. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Pat Metheny, for example, you know, is a big, big influence. And, you know, he's he's got the Pat Metheny group. He's got the Pat Metheny trio, the Pat Metheny orchestrian, Pat Metheny song X, of music of Ornette Coleman. You know what I mean? And that's just one example. And he does about an album a year. I, I don't, I don't know how he does. I think that guy is, is like superhuman, uh, but you know, to me, I see you know, Testament is one side of what I do. Um, mm -hmm. Planetary Collision is, is another. This is my uh, acoustic world music side, and you know, we can get into some of the other sides as well. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, venturing into the world of the Planetary Coalition project. I noticed that there is a connection between, there's a couple of connections that I can make for myself personally. First of all, Kieran. Alawalia. Yeah. She's from Toronto. I'm from Toronto. Uh, yes. She, she is uh, from Toronto and she's a um, very res highly respected uh, interpreter of uh, Indian music, particularly uh, songs called Guzzles, which are these. Um, these ancient, um, almost like love songs. How did you, like, how um, did you hook up with her? Yeah, it's a, it's a interesting story. Um, after the first wave of Testament 
And before Testament reunited and got resurrected in the mid to late O's, um, I was just keeping a very low profile and studying music and teaching music. I moved to New York and got my music degree and just, you know, tried life as uh, more like a music teacher, session musician kind of guy. And one of the guys I was teaching at the time was um, a student from from India. And he gave me an album of this really cool Indian music. And the guitarist's name is uh, Rez Abazi. Yeah, he's married to Kieran. And they do, they're a team. They're a great creative team. So right. he plays guitar. Uh, she does vocals. And I've, Really, I dug Rez's guitar playing. It's, you know, Indian-influenced jazz, which, you know, I obviously I'd heard the John McLaughlin stuff, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of high-energy raga stuff. But this is, you know, just really kind of atmospheric, um, emotional music. And I was struck by her voice. I've never heard a voice like this. And I ended up... Yeah, you know, moving to New York, and it turns out they're they're based in New York. Uh, the violinist who plays on my album, Rachel Golub, this you know, just unsung heroine of the music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just amazing. Uh, she actually had Kieran and Rez over at a house party, and uh, introduced me to them. And I didn't think she'd be available. I was I wasn't even sure she she'd be interested, but we met, we talked about the song, we worked on the and it just happened very organically. Watching there is a a clip online where you can watch the track that she's on for Planetary Coalition from from the bottom up. And I thought the part where you brought in uh Rachel uh Gulab just right in the beginning sounded a lot like the Shakti stuff. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I wear some influences on the sleeve, for sure. Yeah, I didn't want to mention it to you right away, because no, I fine. thought maybe I mean, you thought... It's an honor. I'm, I proudly wear that influence. Um, and I, I think that also has to do with the instrumentation. Yeah, um, the violin, yeah. Shakti had you know, steel string guitar and violin, mm. and we have that. Um, so yeah, it certainly pays tribute to that. It definitely goes some other places. And when you hear the, uh, the finished track, um, which I, I'll, I can send over to you, it, 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 yeah, really, it goes a lot of places. It, it, it just takes you somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, by the end of the video, when you have, uh, Nitin and Kieran, definitely the Shakti is now an influence yeah. rather than, Wow, this is like exactly like Shakti right in the beginning. But it yeah. made me think, Alex, if I could be uh, a voice for what many people might be thinking, would you consider doing an entire album of of just Shakti like material? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think. I mean, it would- you, know, you lay the groundwork for that with Planetary Coalition. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm a lover of world music, but uh, East Indian classical music 
and done in a Western style with the respect that John McLaughlin gave it, you seem to be the only one who could probably pull it off. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Well, um, it would be a dream if, you know, each one of these, or at least some of them could sort of, um, each one, each of these pieces could sort of be the seed for a, a new album, each in, in that style. Wow. Um, it would be very fun and, um, very easy to imagine an album of all um, um, Indian stuff like that. Well, sign me up for a pre-order okay. of, the, okay. of the Shakti one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know that people that don't know these other sides of me um, might be in shock, you know, if they only know me as the, the guy from Testament. Um, but I also, you know, this... I, that's I'm in you know in this world I do these things, and it helps me to ha- have that outlet because I'm not trying to bring that to a testament. Maybe there's a a lick here and there where I can I can in a cool way bring in some other influence, but I'm not trying to change the band. You know the band is the band. Yeah, it's a thing that you know I'm respectful of. I didn't start the band either. I was I was there very early on as far as the recordings, but I, I didn't start the band and it's not something I created firsthand. I'm glad to have, um, get to be, get be a respected contributor, but I do have, um, you know, a very individual side and, and that comes out in, in projects like this. It's, it's interesting. You would start such a monumental project such as this at a time when, Testament's Formation of Damnation album really was a spark that recharged the band. Now you have these two huge projects you're working in tandem. Did you really see this happening all at once? I could see someone working on Planetary Coalition full time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I think, you know, you you don't have... uh... Yeah, there's many. There's just many things you don't have control over. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know. You know, thing things have to feel right. You don't know how you're gonna feel at, at a certain time. Um, now, you know, now Testament's in a position where, yeah, we we will put out a record every few years. And we'll get busy with that, but there, then there's periods of time like this last year where yeah, we're sort of at the end of an album cycle. And uh, there, there is time to, to do stuff. And, um, I also knew that you know, going into the next uh, Testament album cycle, which will happen sometime in 2015, uh, then things are gonna get crazy. Yeah. Then it's gonna be, then it'll be really difficult. Right. But I realized, okay, it's gonna be tough, but I can make this work. And the other thing is, uh, you know, none of us are getting any younger. So this is a bucket list project. <laughs> and I got you. It's you know, it's been there. It's been there for years now. It was there. 
you know, at least five years ago. Um, and it wasn't always just timing. It was also, you know, feeling ready. Like, do I know enough musicians that I would want, you know, to, to play on this and to collaborate with? Um, do I have the compositional skills yet to pull it off? Right. So I think, you know, a lot, a lot of the, you know, these last few years was really, Sort of focusing on my compositions and digging up parts that I thought uh, would work for this, but I also realized, okay, I know, I know Kieran, um, I know Rodrigo and Gabriela, I know Adnan Jabron from the trio Jabron, the great Palestinian oud trio, um, you know, and so like I knew enough, I had enough of a, a dream team, so that. You know, I, I could build off of that. I, I mentioned there was two connections that I had right. with the with the project. The second one was the the uh, group you just mentioned, or the duet, Rodrigo y Gabriela. Mm-hmm. I'm actually on um, the Marty Friedman solo album that they're on. Oh, okay. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, well, the Inferno cool. album that he did. And they have the, uh, I believe it's a second or third track, and I'm on a couple of tracks on that album as well. Oh, so when I saw that there was a connection with you with them, I thought, oh, we're me and Alex are only a degree away from each other. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I'm on Rodrigo y Gabriela's album, um, their album 1111. Aha. And, and you've totally toured with them. And by coincidence, my Planetary Collision album comes out 1111. I think you're a great ambassador to bring world music to like the hard and heavy audience. No one well, else is doing it the way you're doing it. Uh, I think they'll relate to it too more if they give it a chance. Yeah, I know Sepultura did something with with their Roots album like yeah, a which decade was very and a half cool. ago. They had um, indigenous um, percussionists. But you're you're yeah. sticking to they kind of layered it within their sound but you right. are actually going to the sounds you exactly. are exactly yeah i'm yeah. stepping into, into the sound right. i think a bigger influence actually maybe not sonically but um conceptually is uh rye cooter yeah right oh cooter yeah right down to cuba and found all these um almost nearly forgotten musicians Mm-hmm. And got them together and recorded them for the the Buena Vista Social Club, which is yeah one of my favorite records. And he's he's done that with um, you know a few different world music artists. He's recorded African music with Ali Farcature, right? Um, and he he's kind of minimalist. Sometimes you can't always tell he's even there because he's so respectful of the music, right? But in my case, it was I wanted to be there and be respectful of the music. But you know, like the the um, the tune, the you know the tune inspired by uh, India, with the uh, you know Karen and uh, Nitin. That one, sure, I'm I'm definitely thinking of my time spent with uh, John McLaughlin, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> some of the others. The uh, the it's uh, brilliant, the, uh, by the way. Not just any Joe can emulate john mclaughlin yeah oh absolutely you know and i think he's somebody that you know i just he's you know so much respect for him he's been such an inspiration and 
I'm not trying to copy him, but you know, if it, if it leads to people just you know maybe checking him out, then that that's a great thing. And then there's other tunes. It's like some of the Latin tunes on there, like the, the Cuban tune with uh, El Negro Hernandez and the uh, the um, rural Argentinian tune called Salto. Um, there, you know, I'm thinking of guitar players like you know Strunz and Farah and mm-hmm. Paco de Lucia and the Assad brothers and like that all comes out. So I'm I'm definitely not being minimalist, but this yeah, Ry Cooter definitely helped set the example of sort of being this musical ambassador. You know, you you mentioned how, you know, you're not just the guy from Testament, but to me, even back in the day, during the heyday of Testament, reading interviews with you, I always felt you were a little different from the average thrash metal lead guitarist. Mm -hmm. If I could get personal, there was an interview that I found uh, where you were talking about how both your parents were academics, professors, and your frustration with them not acknowledging what you were learning by being in a thrash band, a successful thrash band. Right. And I remember I reread it, but when I did initially read it, when I was, you know, growing up and I was in school, I uh, could relate to it because I was pushed into academics, um, even though I had this kind of musical side and artistic side. You later relented and you went and you got your BFA. Could you talk, could you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, It might be too huge, but I just, I, I I really related to that. Oh, okay. Very cool. Um, I didn't have my, my, my parents weren't professors, but uh, I got a huge push into academics when, and I, and I fought off the artistic urge for, for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually going to be discussing this at the Metal and Cultural Impact Conference, which is a conference on metal academia, which it actually is a thing now. <laughs> who, wow. who would have thought one day? You know? <laughs> um, and, you know, well, yeah, one of the things I'm, I'm going to uh, address is that you know, I definitely, I wasn't, I really wasn't attracted to um, academia the way it was presented to me. I think a lot of the the best learning I did was uh, the, you know, the experience of playing music. You know, like learning an instrument, you learn a lot of lessons. I mean, you learn, obviously, um, once you know how to play, you know, there's creative creative thinking comes into play. Um, you also learn the value of um, you know long term goals versus instant gratification, and especially you know if you if you're lucky enough to get to the point of working in a studio, 
and just going through that process and working on a you know, big creative project. Um, I mean, to me, that was that that was much more helpful than what I was learning in in school, and it was very. Um, I, I think it's it's appreciated now, you know, and you know, my my parents have seen me perform in many different configurations, um, which they they can relate to more than the the, the metal stuff, yeah, you know, I was doing in the late eighties, yeah. um, whether it's my jazz trio or you know playing with you know musicians like Stu Ham or other mm. stuff. Um, yeah, and of course, yeah, the the world stuff I'm, I'm doing now. It definitely helped that, you know, I went back to school. And I wasn't doing it for them. I was doing it for right. me. Um, and I did it on my own terms. You know, getting, getting a degree in, you know, jazz studies at, you know, at the new school. That probably, you know, wouldn't have been their, their dream. You know, the dream was... Yeah, because I, I was raised in Berkeley, California. The dream would be to do my undergrad at Berkeley, uh, <laughs> go to law school at Berkeley. You know, <laughs> I think they thought, oh yeah, hey, hey, we provided this whole path for you. It's you know, but it, it wasn't for me. It wasn't right. who I was. Um, yeah, Brian May of Queen is you know an astrophysics professor. Um, you know, and you, it's funny. You just come. You come to find out that there are all these examples of very, um, you know, very smart um, musicians. But very often, the, the ones that are sort of thro- you, you know, thrust upon you, or the the image that's thrust upon you is sort of, you know, the Sean Penn character in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a musician, but you know, he's Spicoli? a fan. He's sort of represents that that sort of you know stereotype the sort of you know absolutely constant partier that you know just wants to rock and doesn't really care about anything else and they should be there you know they're, they're not supposed to not be there oh yeah absolutely they have a place too yeah it's just that um, they've yeah become the representatives of of this very technical uh, kind of music. I was very surprised to find out is that you're a co-host of a show of, of a of a TV show right. called Louder Education, yep. and. Um, it's basically for, you know, kids. It's like a school of rock thing, right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Louder Education, is it's a concept. And it's also the title of my presentation um, that's coming up for this um, academic conference. Um, but the, there is the School of Rock Connection is the uh, co-host uh, Chris Harfinest, his nickname is Tomato. Um, he was the drummer, is the drummer for a recently reunited um, band, Sound of Urchin. That's sort of like an indie rock, hard rock band that's played with 
indie bands and metal bands. Um, okay. Cool band. And in between uh, tours and stuff, he was a school of rock instructor. Um, but he ended up starting his own school, which is called Thor, Tomatoes House of Rock. And it's more of an after-school program. Mm-hmm. And he's got, you know, you basically have to audition for it. Like, they won't just accept anybody. Oh, okay. And most because... of the kids there, you know, they really want to be there. And yeah. Cause... They have mm-hmm. promise, you know. And some of them are scary good. <laughs> the the episode where you actually played New Order with them, the New right. Order... Yeah unbelievable yeah, people are kind of in shock when they see that you know these are like really young kids and they're really playing their asses off <laughs> i couldn't believe it yeah it's it's fun um and that's the thing where we did two seasons we're hoping to do more at some point it kind of depends on scheduling and it was also uh coordinated by um metal injection Mm-hmm. And Frank Odla, who runs that website. Um, and all the episodes are on, can be found online at Metal Injection. Um, but we would have a special guest each week. And uh, we had a couple media figures, people like um, Don Jameson from that metal show. Right. Um, Richard Christie from the Howard Stern Show, who's also <laughs> a great metal drummer. Yep. Yeah. Um, Jose Mangan from Sirius XM. But we, yeah, we had some oh, great yeah. musicians too. Um, you know, uh, Odorous, Yurungus, may he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the uh, guys, let's see, we had the guy from uh, Children of Bodom, Alexi Lejo. Yeah. Um, a whole bunch. I mean, too, there's just too many to name. But one, one of my favorites was um, actually J.J. French. J.J. French. Yeah. And he's just got stories, you know, just from, you know, 10 years of slogging it out before getting a break with um, Twisted Sister to um, the band just getting dropped from the label and losing everything, having to, you know, uh, work in a store to sort of become, you know, finding new life as a manager of Seven Dust. I mean, that, that's one of my favorite episodes. So that uh, episode I watched yeah, and there was no questions asked. He just talked for like 50 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. He's really awesome. Um, and now, you know, louder educated, you know, it's, it's very educational. It takes it, uh, the learning process out of the, um, you know, traditional school, and just gives you some real life lessons, and it's the type of thing I, I wish I had uh, when I when I was younger. I understand <laughs> there is a need for somewhat institutionalized learning, but I, I never did well with that. Yeah, and I, I actually thought I wasn't smart because um, not because I, w- I was dumb, but it was just lack of confidence and not. Um, not being able to uh, easily function within these these institutions, and I, I later found out that yeah, there are a lot of very bright people that did not do well in institutionalized learning. I think that if has I was, to do with 
low intelligence. In fact, in many cases, it's because your intelligence is too high and you're too creative, and it's very hard for you to be restricted to this this regimen. Yeah. yeah. I think if I was uh, able to see the J.J. French episode before I, I started a band, I would have gone back to academia. <laughs> yeah, it definitely uh, puts things in perspective. But one more question. Okay. Was Testament's original name Cryptic Tales when you guys changed it from the legacy? Uh, no, it was... Um... No, it was just it was it went from legacy to testament. There was no cryptic tales. Um, cryptic tales. There were a bunch of names floating around, and that was a name that we sort of made fun of. I think that somebody suggested. Oh, okay. That we just right. laughed ourselves slowly over. <laughs> okay. All right. But that's it. I thought that's all. I mean, I've got four more questions, but you know. But that's cool. Thank you. Yeah. I for, somebody suggested it, and we were just cracking up. Well, now that I put it out there, maybe someone will use it. There you go. You never know. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you so much, man. All right, Daniel. And I'll see you, uh, see you out there somewhere. I'll see you out there, too. Yeah, for sure. Right. And say hi to Gene for me, too. Yeah, we will do. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Alex.